Hey, and welcome to the Rich Martin Podcast. So good that you're with me today. And I love doing these. These are all about trying to help build local church in Europe. And today I get to speak to Gavin Calver. And Gavin is an amazing guy who leads the Evangelical Alliance here in the UK and has had a whole host of other things. And I wanted to get Gavin on to talk to him about everything from unity to we talk about micro church we talk about raising a family when you're in ministry and gavin's got some brilliant brilliant insights i love chatting to him i think you're gonna love what's coming up so let's jump straight into this great great podcast with gavin calver thanks so much for being with us gavin and uh, if you could just give us a little bit of a rundown of your world i've just said this is who you are but could you just give us a bit of a journey how have you ended up being the evangelical alliance CEO, leader of that that whole amazing organization. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm from the Christian mafia, right? I'm the seventh generation called, called uh, Mr. Not Re- called Reverend, not Mr. And so my dad actually used to run the EA when I was young. My granddad ran it before, not that it's a family business. And so it's probably the last thing on earth I wanted to do. Right. Um, but my heart is for, I want to unite the church to reach the lost. And so I ended up at Youth for Christ straight from Bible college or seminary, if you're American, and ended up at Youth for Christ for 14 years, reaching young people. That was really fun, really exciting, went really well, loved it, absolutely loved it. Even non-Christians like Youth for Christ. Right. Because they might not like they might not like the ministry, but helping naughty kids not be naughty. So, you know, it was kind of that was a lot of fun. But it became clear after 14 years there that that I was a bit comfortable number of prophetic words and i remember my wife specifically saying to me you're too safe you're too comfortable and you're too popular and god didn't make to be any of those things and you start to feel unsettled and the lord made fairly clear i was to go to the ea not to lead it at that point but to oversee mission and evangelism because this evangelical word gets totally misunderstood it's, right. it's all about the evangel it's all about the gospel it's about good news and um, so i went to ea overseeing all the gospel work which was brilliant because again it's the fun bit but then two years ago uh the role of leading the EA came up. The Lord was fairly clear with me. I've stepped into it and I'm, and it's great. It's a great privilege, but it's also a massive challenge. So I've kind of got here because I want to reach the lost and I want people to do it together. Right. So let's, let's tuck into that. Do it together. Unity. Give us, yeah. I mean, everyone has a different take on unity. Everyone has a, I mean, not everyone, but there's lots of different versions of what unity is. Where, where's your heart lie with it? Because you know, there is there is a mixed bag of, even in the evangelical world, there's a mixed bag of, of what churches could look like and everything from competitive leaders through to different doctrine through to, you know, methodologies. Like what what does unity look like, you know, in 2021 or what, is it something we're working towards? Is it something you're trying to create or, or what does that look like for, for you guys? Well, you can't create it. Only God can create unity really in the end. But it is what Jesus prays for so passionately in John 17. Mm. So I think in my world, there's two types of unity I'm interested in. There's, there's the unity of the evangelical church, which is my primary purpose and mandate. Mm. Then there is the wider unity of the church. But they are, they are sister things, but they're not quite entirely the same as well. So right. it's important that we're in unity beyond the evangelicals. But it's really important that as an evangelical alliance, we're uniting evangelicals to try and make an impact. Now, so, so the unity that I do in my day job a lot of that's around gospel evangelism. It's around standing together. It's around not compromising on the word of God. But we also have to realize as well that Christianity is wider than evangelicalism. So I have a, I have a role of mandate, a calling to unite evangelicals to reach the lost. 
But then I'm also part of a, a global family as well that goes beyond that. Mm. So, so there's both with the unity are important. And the reason I love the evangelical unity so much is it's got real legs. Go on. You know, I, yeah. I'm a good evangelical, not a real activist. I don't just want to sort of uh, sit in a room and sing bandits together. I want to go out and make a difference in the, in the world. I want the world to look more like a kingdom. I want to go, go after the lost alongside others. But I also think there's a beauty in unity in celebrating difference. So one of the great privileges I have is I preach a lot of different churches. Now that is just, it's a different feast every time. It's right. Absolutely, it's absolutely remarkable. But each is a church loving the Lord, loving this community, wanting to reach this community. I never have a home match for a bit of those terms. Right, Because right. everyone else thinks their church is normal, and to me it, it's not. Right. And then also the church can do something the world can't do. Come on. I remember, I remember in my local church a few years ago going for a curry night, a men's curry night. There's 22 men there, aged probably 16 to 80 odd. Because of where I live in London, of the 22 men, there's 15 ethnicities. Hmm. Now, the guy running the curry house, so I know quite well, because it's local, yes. says to me, what the heck are you lot? I said, well, what do you think we are? He said, well, I think you're the church. I said, why? He said, because you're a vicar type. I said, okay. I said, why else would we be the church? He said, no one else in this community can get this broad and diverse group of people eating a meal all around a table together. Come There's on. something about the church that goes over the boundaries that other yeah. people create. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you think in your time of spring harvest, the whole works, do you think that we are more united? Do you think that when you look across Europe and beyond, or let's keep it into Europe or in the UK, like, do you, do you think we're more united or do you think we're more divided? Both. Oh, Which is a strange thing to say. Is. <laughs> I think the senior leadership of the nation are more united. I think at a local level, we can be more competitive than ever. Mm. So I do think that there's a great unity in leadership, but I'm mm. not sure that always so it was down to the local on the ground. Mm. I also think that in the UK, we have a privilege they don't have in, say, the USA. In the USA, you can afford to be separate because, frankly, you've got enough Christendom left. We here, it's not like there's been an epiphany from heaven that's told us to be united. It's that actually we've got to be pragmatic. There's not that many of us left. So if we don't like each other, we, that's further divide, further problem, further challenge. So I think there is a greater unity overall, mm. but I think competition is rife. And that's the thing we need to speak out against really. So for example, we're using Youth for Christ. To do a youth mission, all the churches might pay, do it together, everything else. But the sticking point is if kids come to faith, which church do they go to? Right. So until we can start saying it's about God and his kingdom, not me and my church, mm. the unity that Jesus longs for may not be fully possible. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think maybe some of that's a generational thing. So I think the generation, maybe your kids or the young people that are in youth ministries that are coming through, they're not even millennials, they're not really stuck on brands that they are like obsessed with. You know, in, in our parents' generation, it was like, you know, they would buy personal washing powder because it was all over the adverts and they would stick with it. And and that that kind of flowed through to church, right? This is my, this is it. And they would be demanding of a kind of brand or a style. Whereas the generation that are coming through, they're so much more flexible. They've got this ease and breeze where they're not, of course they like brands. I'm not denying that, but they have this way of understanding that things don't work in just one odd one equals two. 
um, the, there's this space that that is blurry and they can merge and they can flow and they can move from different things very freely because of the world that they've grown up in. And I think as that starts to emerge, my hope would be is that that competitive side as the generations hand the churches on and transition churches over them, that a lot of that competitive side goes because it's not just not how they're wired. They're not wired in that way. I don't know. don't know if you'd agree in what I've just said. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I think various things are dying that contribute to that as well. So denominationalism's dying. Mm. You know, I'm an ordained Baptist minister, but I'd go to any type of church to be honest. <laughs> it's more about what a church believes than the than the stream it's in. Right, me. right. I think also within that as well, um, nominalism's dying. Right. So and and goodness me, the pandemic has been the final sort of nail in that coffin, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Mm. So suddenly then you end up with people that are, that are probably more on fire on a Sunday. And I think younger generations are drawn to, to passion more than they're drawn to always doctrine. Now both matter. Totally. Yeah. And I think what you're going to end up with is people in churches together who are hungry for the same things. Yeah. Great. Not necessarily. He've just agreed everything. Yeah. 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 And so I do think, I do think things are changing. I, the, the thing about churches, it's got to keep changing. Now, the substance should never change. Don't mess around with the word of God. Stop changing the Bible to fit your culture. Change your culture of the truth in the word of God. The substance of the message doesn't change, but the style should change like the wind. Mm. One of the reasons why I really believe now that the style of church changes is pre-pandemic, church in the UK was a set menu. Right. You're always half 10 and half six. Yeah. That's got nothing to do with Jesus, by the way. Everything's to do with milking cows. You used <laughs> yeah. to milk cows at night, yeah. milk them at five. Took half hour to get the milk, half hour to get clean, half hour to get to church. Nothing to do with Jesus. And then most churches would say, oh, we're really different or we're not a normal church. But in the end, most of us sang for 20 minutes, had a few notices and prayers, had a talk for half an hour, sang a couple more songs, went home after some bad coffee. Right. It's, just, it's a fairly, I think going forward, we're looking at a buffet for church. Come on. Because people have started um, coming to your church in their pajamas. Well, don't turn that tap off now. People are looking at different times, different ways, different levels in community. But the substance doesn't change. We confuse substance and style. So for too long, we make style sacred. Style is not sacred. Come on, yeah. Why I can go anywhere on a Sunday to preach, and it, it, it is church. The yeah. fact they're doing stuff, I don't know how to do it. The fact that they say certain things when I do to you, yeah, or they yeah. stand at a certain point, and I don't really know what I'm doing, doesn't matter. That's yeah. style, it's the substance of that. And I think for too long, we have fought over style. When frankly, the evangelist in me says, whatever style gets the message to people, let's do it. Because we can't keep celebrating historical figures like James Hudson Taylor. Right. Went to China, wore the dress, spoke the language, ate the food, and in order to reach people. We can't celebrate that and do the opposite here. Come on, come on. So, so talk to me then about, you touched on it, evangelicalism. You said it's a mis a misinterpreted word or a word that has been banned around. I think with the news streams that we all get that are highly um, integrated with what's going on over in America, you know, we open up our news and there's so much of America's news in our news now. And I get it. It's all there's lots that's related. And then to see the the presidential elections, to see all the stuff that goes on over there, to then hear the word evangelical and to put it to evangelical alliance. I don't know. I think a lot of people would have a different view of what evangelical is. What, what is the good of it? What do we need to fight for? What is needs to just drop off? How do we, how do we establish, how do we move forward with that word? Yeah. Yeah. I think we firstly have to admit that it needs redeeming. You know, it's not redundant, but it needs redeeming. 
Um, but also, uh, let's not just pick a mix of what we take from America. So if you're gonna if you're gonna lay into evangelicalism because of what there is in America, let's do that for some other things too. It can't just be the evangelical bit we get uptight about. Right. You know, our two cultures are so different; it's untrue. Now, if I was in America, would I call myself evangelical? Oh, well, I would have done a dance that to live there, but <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't be as comfortable as I am with it here. Okay, and I think we need to we need to say what it is. I mean, four four elements that are unmissable. The Bible bit I've talked about: so don't change scripture, hold firmly to Bible. People say to me, why don't you have an open mind on X or Y? I have an open Bible. I'm an evangelical Christian. Hmm. Secondly, the death and resurrection of Jesus being the most central thing to what we stand for. Thirdly, the need for conversion. So many people seem to think you come to faith by osmosis, or there's a growing universalism in the UK. Everyone's going to heaven anyway. Evangelicals believe in conversion. You get on your knees and you meet a savior. Hmm. But then finally, the need to be active, active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why evangelicals led the abolition of the slave trade, provided education before others. In the last 30 years, have come up with and delivered food banks, Christians against poverty, street pastors. Mm. So that's what an evangelical is. Mm. Now, that means quite a lot of room. Now, the EA has a statement of faith people gather around. Yeah, it's yeah. largely been unchanged in our 175-year history. Mm. And the evangelical alliance itself is, is grounded in two things, united action and holistic mission. So we want to go together. Mm. And we want to make a difference in the nation. When you when you start saying these things, it makes sense to people. Now, you, Rich, don't need to walk around telling it when you're an evangelical Christian. Right. You don't need the evangelical alliance. I do, so I need that language. Yeah. But when I say to people and we show people what it is, they're like, no, 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 no I'm one of them. That's okay. Yeah. And yeah. and all we've got to do is one step by one step, just make it clear what it is and get confidence in that again. At the same time. Too many Christians in this country have baptized their culture and want everyone to love them. I think that show is over. You can't want Iranian results. You know, we go on about Iran being the fastest church in the world. You can't want Iranian results in the Western comfort. If you really want to move of God, you're going to have to accept there's going to be times where you will be slightly alienated and marginalized. Mm. But if you really want to be a social leper, try being me with the upcoming Christmas parties. What do you do for a living? I'll eat the evangelical lines. That's <laughs> <laughs> But, 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 at the same time, take the media who lay into it the most. Yeah. The media don't know the difference between evangelistic evangelism and evangelicalism. So uh, in right. one sense, we've got a wider bit of re-education to do. But at the same time as well, I'm just confident in the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a good news person. Crack on. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. And so this book you've written with, with your wife, Anne, I'm guessing you did it pre-lockdown, but launched it during lockdown. So it got launched in 2020. Was this yeah. something you wrote before? Yeah, it's accidentally prophetic. It really is. <laughs> I like so that. Kind, book, that kind of prophetic sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wrote a book. We, it was when I was leading Spring Harvest, which we don't do anymore, simply because you can't ride two horses. I need to focus on the aim. Yeah. Well, but it was going to be the sort of material for spring harvest. And we just felt from God, me and Anne particularly, this unleashed stuff was so important. What does it mean to be the Acts Church today? But we wrote things in there like, um, your street is your parish, your garden fence is your pulpit. We all need to take ownership of sharing our faith and getting closer in community. Stuff that you didn't know what was coming. Right. And so um, it really does speak into this time. But it also talks about how do we just go back to the simplest form of church, which is closer to people in deeper community, sharing possessions, loving the least, the last and the lost. It's had a profound impact on our life as well. Cause my wife, Anne was a, a Baptist minister. She's now left the, uh, she was associate minister at church. She's left that started a charity called Unleashed Church. That's planting home churches. 
So we're doing it as well because you can't write it and not do it. So right. I love the church in all its manifestations, but my current church is an unleashed church in Northwest London, which when it gets to 25 people, we'll have to plant again because then it's too big for us to all love each other. We're currently at about 20. And it's a great fun adventure trying to live out what this actually looks like. Oh, well, let me go there. Um, how does it work? How, how in your Unleashed Church, let's go there with your church, yeah. how yeah. have you got yourself around kind of one Timothy teaching of what an elder is, what a, an overseer is, what a deacon is, um, right ways to worship that Paul talks about? You know, because it's a, it's a mini passion of mine over the last two or three months that I've been chatting through with friends of, if, have we got so obsessed with the structure that Paul dictated or wrote about and dictate, yeah. but like explained that we've tried to form everything around that. Whereas it seems like yourself and Anne have broke free and how does all that work? Yeah. Um, each, cause it's not, cause it's not weird. It's not just one. There's the theories planning over the UK and there's even a couple overseas. It's exciting. It's happening very naturally, but each church has a couple of people, not necessarily a couple, let's get that clear, but a couple of people leading that home church. Annie's, if you, Annie's the overseer of the sort of unleashed movement, if we want to call it that, it's a bit grand. But so, so Annie's the sort of spiritual accountability. And then Anne um, is, is part of a team of the church called All Nations in the Midlands with Steve Upple, yep. which comes under the sort of apostolic covering of there. So Anne's not just rogue. Yeah. But, 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 the structures are very different. We are going much more for everyone gets to play. So I mentioned Steve Apple. He, when we were doing it online before we could do it in person, he, he preached one Sunday, the next Sunday, my 11 year old son preached because <laughs> everyone yeah. gets to play. There's nothing in the Bible about um, ages. You know, we say you can't do that to 16. There's nothing about that. It's about spiritual maturity. And so what we've got going on is you've got this early church. It's unschooled, ordinary folk. There is leadership. There is accountability within that, but. But the church just rolls differently too. We've had to unlearn what we'd learned before. So give so us some examples. Average, well, if there's an average Sunday at Unleashed, it would be like this. And then there isn't really an average, but this is how it rolls. You go around to a house, a home at one. Whoever's turn it is to bring the food. Cause just cause you host it doesn't mean you always bring the food. You know, we like to rotate that. Whoever's turn it is to bring the food, happy days. We eat together, fellowship together for a couple of hours. You know, and it's actually, it's not just eating. And, and getting on to the main stuff. It's actually, how's your week been? What's going on? What's happening? So then there's about an hour of random fun. It's often a game of footy in the garden or something because there's kids and things going on. Then that rolls quite naturally into church. If you want to call it that other bit, although we think the whole thing's church, where you end up worshiping, praying. Someone brings a thought. It's not well, a certain let, quite. Let, let, me, let me pause you there. You just whipped yeah. through worship and praying. Well, what yeah. do you gather? Does everyone jump in the living room? Someone pull a guitar out? Do you put something on the TV? What was it like? Yeah, no, yeah, no. Someone pulls guitar out, gather in the living room, and you worship. Now, what's interesting, it is the most unseeker friendly you could imagine. <laughs> about, a, about a quarter of our church aren't Christian, and they love it because they've already done. Because if you think about this, the entry point normally is going through the front door of a building you're not familiar with. The entry point here is coming into a home you're familiar with. You've eaten for a couple of hours. We've We've laughed together. We've done some nonsense. All this is happening. And then it just rolls into church. We've not had anyone not want to go to the service bit, if that is what you call that, but it's mm. much less formal. So we would worship together maybe for 20, 25 minutes. Then there'd be times of prayer. People share a few things. I might say specific. Someone would bring a, a, a word of sorts. And then there'd be, is there anything going on we really need to be praying into? It's, I know everything going on in those people's lives. That's the difference. I've never had that in church. 
Wow. So, and you're not the you're not the big cheese to put the phrase no. on that. You're not the the. It, it could I'm be... nothing. I'm nothing. I go to the church. And what about let, let's get practical? What about giving? What about like the the thought of what do you all put money in a pot like they would like we we read about in the Book of Acts and and decide what you do with it or do you encourage that? How, how does all that work? I think if Anne had her way, there'd be no charity status. The money would just pass between hands like the Acts Church and everything else. I've, I've kind of talked her into the fact that as long as you're allowed to in this country, why on earth would you not get the extra 25% from the government and everything else? So, so, so giving happens through the usual ways, really. Okay. Um, but I'll tell, you the difference. I'll tell you the difference, Rich, and I won't give specifics. It makes me look good or bad. Difference is you end up paying for stuff for other people that you would never know about, whether that's a kid's school uniform or a gas bill, because you're so close to people. So if I've got savings and you go to our church and you're struggling to pay your gas bill, I need to pay your gas bill. Which that's is- the kind of culture we're developing because that's what, that's what it was like because that's family. And what about, so, I mean, don't, you don't mind me sticking around this. No, this totally, we're, 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 off, we're off piste, but I love being that's off fine. piste here. What about um, your kids? Because, like, let me give you an example, right? I go to a church, there's about eight, 900 people in one of the services. The kids' work is like, you know, it's it's all scannable in. It's all CRB checked. It's all, everyone's, you know, they get this great material. They come out loving it, sweets to glore and little things they've made. Then you work up the, the categories and then the youth have got basketball courts. We've got a little skate park in the church I go to. It's just a really rich, deep experience for these kids to be in this safe environment, learning about God, making a ton of great friends. I always think when I hear about these types of churches like you're doing, it's kind of like, ah, like that, is that not a pinch point? Like adults love it because suddenly, you know, we can, we can do things differently. You know, where does that land? If I'm honest, Rich, I had exactly the same concerns as you going into this, but a year or so in, all I would say is my children have never been more on fire for Jesus than they are right now. I have got philosophical questions about 14 years in youth ministry where it was always get them out, get them into the group, get them. But you've got, I mean, it might not last. That's the other thing. You know, we do know that with our, our kids, you know, we want to get them to 25 loving Jesus. We're never finished, you know. Yeah. But my 14 and 11-year-old actively giving prophetic words to 45-year-olds. Um, they're, they're fully contributing to church life. Hmm. The reason there's the fun bit is, is that's done for the kids as well. You know, why are we playing? What you, you got, you got a couple of middle-aged men in there who've not played football for 20 years and started playing football again. Because right. they want to, uh, so so it's the relationships go deeper. It's really interesting. That yeah. same time, be honest. Um, I know the value of affiliated faith for young people. So there is a, a large Anglican church local to us where our kids go along some of the youth ministry. Because actually, I think that's wise, you know, so they go along to some of the youth ministry there. But our, my children at this moment would not change church for, in a hundred years because, because they love what's happening and they get, to, and you've got things like, um, my son was a bit upset the other day. So a young couple in their twenties, friend of my me and Anna were in our forties. So this is how it's working. Young couple in our twenties were around at our house for dinner. Cause you got the in and out of homes and they realized he was upset. So. They said to us later, would you mind if we surprised him by picking him up from school tomorrow, taking him for a milkshake and doing X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. It's that kind of community going on. Hmm. So the significant adult presence is not an hour and a half a week in a session. It's actually sharing life as well. Right. What that would do for my teenage kids is amazing. And, and here's the thing. This pandemic season has shown me 
once more. We cannot expect a youth worker to do in an hour a week what we have done in 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So where discipleship of our children comes from? Like the fact that half of kids from Christian homes don't make it in faith. We've got to start dealing with this. And all I'd say again is it's the buffet thing. So Rich, what your, you, your kids have got going on sounds amazing. Sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. But also what my kids have got going on is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm... And, and different stages, different things. But, uh, but one thing I do know, we were chatting to some friends of ours recently who are concerned about their four kids because they just don't know where their four kids are at with Jesus. Mm. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And they said, we don't really know because they get to Asia, they don't really talk to us. And they go out to their groups and things, and we just hope they're doing okay. And they said to us, do you know where your kids are at with Jesus? And we had to play it down because you don't want to be sort of, because we, of course we know. Yeah. And so it is interesting. I just wanted to take a quick pause from this great podcast to tell you about our partner, Compassion. And I caught up with a church leader called Claire, who knows firsthand all about Compassion. I'm here with Claire Hooper, a friend who had the privilege of going out to a Compassion Project a couple of years ago in Uganda. Claire, what was that like and what's your thoughts on partnering with Compassion? When we first went, Rich, I think, like everybody, you never can be fully prepared for what you see. And I kind of knew that. I'd sort of thought my way through what I'm going to see when I see poverty. And you do, you see things that people shouldn't have to live through. You see things that no eye should have to see. Like it's devastating to see people living the way that they're living. And I think what I wasn't expecting was that when we arrived at the Uganda Compassion Headquarters, just how like structured, how well thought through, how well managed, how well organized it was. And that was the thing that really clinched it for me about wanting to partner with them is that I, you know, you've, you've got a group of people, we're church leaders, we've got, we've got a church and we're trying to encourage them to get behind something. You want to make sure that when people are giving their money or their time or their prayers, that something good's going to be done with that. And so it really reassured me, I suppose, going into those offices, in fact, actually, I was challenged by how incredibly well run and well thought through the projects were, the education was, the level of detail that each of the people that were trained were, the, com the compassion they had, the, the, the power they had to change things because of the way that it was structured. So that was my biggest takeaway from being in the Uganda headquarters. We met some amazing people. We went to some projects where people are doing amazing things, like amazing things, doing good. but. Compassion for me then changed, I changed my perspective towards them as just being do-gooders, as to being change makers, really, people who were impacting the world. It's only been going 60 years, you know, and what they've done and achieved, 2.1 million children, I think wow. now they are sponsoring. In 60 years, it made me think, what could we all do in 60 years? So that's why we partnered with them. And um, yes, to sponsor children and to get children out of poverty, essential work that the Christian church should be doing, but also to partner with an organisation doing what they do. Why wouldn't you want to do that? They're amazing. So there you have it, first-hand amazing work of Compassion from Claire. If you want to know more about this great work, just go to the Compassion website, which is compassionuk.org, and you can find out all about it there. I'm really grateful for their support and I'm even more grateful for the great work that they do all over the world. Well, let's jump straight back into this great conversation. Gav, this is fascinating because of what I've been thinking through the last couple of months. Um, and sorry, I've also been using your phrase, which I'm really, really, really happy to hear someone else use it, which is people are saying, what do you think the future of the church is? And I've been saying, I think it's a buffet. 
I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's one magic lever or big, big red yeah. button that's going to do it all. I think it's like, we're going to have buffet, but we, we've not been able to have a buffet before because um, we've had a lack of um, good leadership throughout. And so all the good leaders tend to go and build a similar style or method, right? And methods that we've talked about. When you're talking now, it's like, oh, wow, we're sat in front of like two generals of, of the faith. I know you're not and you're not as old as your mum and dad, but you, you're walking in towards general, you know, you're doing great things and you've decided to go and take all of that knowledge, all that passion and to do a different thing on the buffet table called small church and to do it well. And that was what I've been saying to people is like, wouldn't it be great if the buffet table was you have real great leaders across the breadth of this spectrum of doing church and you've got people who are doing mega church because I, I love mega church. I've done it for a number of years now. I think it's amazing. And then you've got other people like yourselves who are doing what they're calling micro church. And, and it's these leaders who, you know, you spoke, spoke in front of thousands. You know, you know what that looks like. You know how that works. You know what that kind of scenario is. And now you're taking all of that and you're developing and this, the buffet of it. My, my question would be, uh, uh, going deeper on it would be, is it is it not just you you're building a lovely club and it's me being cynical right and because i've never done it but just is it not you're just building a lovely club for you and your friends how does it open up to you know what's great about being in church is there is the guy who's homeless or there is the the couple that are slightly unusual because they wear funny hats or whatever it might be and and then there is and, and the idea of maybe going small is it just birds of a feather flock together and you're just going to gather the, the kind of nice people that you all get on with when it gets to 25 start again with some more nice people how have you worked that dynamic out because that, that that's brilliant about a church of 100 200 type thing is you've just got all of this con you know cacophony of different voices and type things how does that look for you yeah um because it's missional, it's about who you meet and inviting them in. So we would have a consistent 20, but of that, 15 would be the same. Some people would come in as a, as a one-off. I think, um, I don't want to sound judgmental on any other format, you see, but if you, as, the, as an evangelist, if you looked at the percentage of, of non-Christians in our little churches, it's not just here, they're, they're over the country. The percentage of non-Christians in these small churches is far higher, far higher than it is in, in our large churches. Hmm. Because how many non-Christians are in on Sunday morning in a mega church? Uh, it'll be a lot, but it won't be a lot of a thousand. <laughs> you know, it won't be, won't get anywhere near 25% of the thousand. Won't be. You know, it's, it, so, so actually genuine relationships when they're missional um, opens that up wider. I think also, um, I, I won't say who it is because it's not helpful, but, but a well thought of Christian leader has stepped out of leading a very large church to look at the, there's lots of people doing this, not just add, it's like, I mean, 10, 11 conversations with people do this. And they're interestingly, none are competing. They're all for each other. But one of these is a significant leader stepped out of a very large church because he'd worked out it was £17,000 per baptism. Now, right. that's challenging. Yeah. So, so, so I think for all of us, we seize this missional moment. And I think within that, the small, you can't have passengers either. It's not a small group. Okay. It's not a small group. It's not a bunch of Christians just sitting around chatting about a Bible passage. It's, a, it's an intentional, missional church. And, and it's, it's how the church started. And, and if you look around the world, in China, Iran, and places, it's how the church has exploded. However, here, I'm with you. I love the mega church. Goodness me. I'm going to preach in church in something that's very big. I can't wait. Absolutely can't wait. <laughs> if I'm talking about what I would humanly choose, yeah. it is not this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is the mandate on my wife's life at the moment. Yeah. 
And I am a very supportive husband. Ah. <laughs> but I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating because of what I said before, this great buffet table. I think um, what would your take be, maybe wrapping up this, this bit of it, I'm aware of time, but what would your take be on Iran and China? The driving force there is persecution. And fortunate, we don't live under persecution. We don't, we don't have that dynamic as much as them. And I know some listening might say we have some sort of persecution, but we're not fearing for our lives because we're meeting indoors and talking about Jesus. So, so do you need that dynamic in the mix for this to work and that kind of thing? Um, no, you, no, you don't. You don't. You need urgency. That's what you need. Because hmm. if you're not urgent, it does become a cozy club. That's the same across the church. Where has the urgency gone? Hmm. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. Where's the urgency gone? So pressure is interesting, though. The UK church is increasingly under pressure, particularly the bit I'm involved in, because if you make a stand on certain things, it's going to be interesting. I think the next 10 years are going to be the trickiest we've had for a long time. Hmm. And there's a bit of a wheat and chaff moment as well. So I, we don't need persecution, but pressure forces it. I also, I'm not sure quite where we're going in this country in terms of the level of pressure. I certainly know we'll be able to tell because I'll be the first one sent to prison if we go that way. So I'll let you know. Come and visit me in Belmarsh. But, you know, <laughs> there is a greater pressure coming. Um, but I think it's urgency. How urgent are you to reach people? Mm. So at what point, we've all heard those church planning things. You know, at what point do you get passengers in the church? At what point, what numbers? What? And, and you know what? I don't think any of us are trying to create a model and then say, let's McDonaldize this out. Mm. I think we're all just saying, how do we make the most of this moment for the gospel? Mm. And, and for too long, I think at least, we went to church for an hour and a half. We hardly spoke to anyone. This was my experience. You hardly speak to anyone. You then, you then leave and that's it for the week. It's like, it's like your horse riding class on a Tuesday and football on a Thursday and church on a Sunday. No, no, no. This should be everything. Mm. And I think we need to rediscover some of that. Mm. Oh, it's fascinating. I think credit to Anne and yourself for stepping out and doing it. It's a thrill. I'm talking to various people who are on with different things as well and working out. I think this is where we're going. I've got a friend who's planting in a new city in the UK. Him and his wife have just moved to it. They're looking at how do we do it a lot more missional or how do we do it where, you know, we're not having to maybe go down such a traditional route of it. And so, and they're all great leaders like yourselves. And not that previously hasn't been done, but this type of style has previously been a bit freakish, a bit weird. Yeah. It's had a, it's had an unusual twist to it. It's had just some disgruntled groups who cannot fit in the traditional setup because for various reasons. And so it's kind of like being shelved over there, but I, I'm, I'm really grateful that I'm grateful that you've done it and how, how amazing and to be able to write a book and then step out and go, I'll do it as well, as well as write it is, is, yeah. is incredible. So, but, well, that's generational piece, isn't it? We talked about generations earlier, mm. but one of the things in our generation is don't say something you can't then live. Right. And wrote a book and then you're like, hang on, I've got to live it. Right. And, and that, and that's really, really challenging. Yeah. I think also, I think also um, the Lord's just up to some new adventures Yeah. and, and, Going forwards, you know, we haven't lost people, younger generations of people, because we haven't entertained them enough. We've challenged them enough. And this Christianity, we need to set the bar higher for some people. And one thing the small definitely does is it sets the bar higher. Because mm. you can't be, you can't just sit there and be unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah. You can't turn up and then be asked to fix your first week because everyone knows you before out of it. It's like, it's just different. It's just different. Not better. Different. Different. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I like. I love the fact, I mean, 
you, 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 like you say, speaking this week at a large church, but that, that buffet table, I'm so glad you've brought that. And I think long may it continue mega church, micro church, middle of the road church, like all of it rising to a whole new level is, is, is the passion for sure. Um, for wrapping up last, last question or two, what, you know, you, you touched upon, you've come from this kind of family of vicars and church leaders. I've had the privilege of speaking to your dad and mum. Um, I had an hour with them a couple of um, uh, weeks ago. What would be your kind of take on raising a family in ministry? Because I, I presume you were raised a different way to how you're raising your kids. But I know that many people listening to this are um, raising family and doing ministry together. What would your take be on on that? Um, <laughs> you don't get away with anything. That's for sure. That's the authenticity and integrity to what you're doing. Uh, I, I think the challenging thing is Jesus is the most important thing in my life, but my ministry and Jesus are not synonymous with one another. Mm. And so I think a real challenge to us is to not mix those up. Mm. Negative. If I had the near growing up in a Christian family was Jesus got blamed for quite a lot, but actually that was ministry. And that's interesting space. So I'm trying to not make the same mistakes that are made in me, but make my own. So my children can go on and make their own, not mine. <laughs> um, but I do think that I do think that it's good for your kids to catch you reading the Bible. It's good for your kids to see you doing what you do in the home is the same as what you're saying out there. It's good for your kids to be involved. Yeah. We do lots of, well, not lots, but we do spiritual disciplines with our kids. If we're ever doing fasting, whether that's Lent or something else, we get them to do it too, or encourage them to do it too. We do times of prayer around the dinner table where we'll pray, but then we'll be quiet for a few minutes because prayer is not a monologue. It's a conversation. It's God want to say anything. So we've raised our kids to understand the prophetic, how to minister in that. But we've also shared our disappointments with them. Mm. One of the things we decided when they got above about eight or nine was we weren't going to pretend life was perfect if it wasn't. Mm. I had some real challenges in my job. My job at EA is amazing, but it's really difficult. Mm. And we're not going to hide that from them. Mm. So, so we take them on the journey warts and all, but in the end, we want to show them that our love for Jesus is great and everything else. They know who we are. We don't, you can't pretend with the kids, but, but you have to be authentic. You keep going, you keep going deeper yourself. If you're not going deeper, because the thing we say to our kids as well, God does not have grandchildren. Wow. So my status before God is the same as my sons or my daughters. Yeah. Therefore I need to be going deeper too. Yeah. And we get, and the beauty of this new model of church where we get to empower them a bit to obviously do stuff, which is fun. Uh, that sounds so exciting. And I just remind me, how old are your kids? Just so people listening now. Yeah. 14 and 11. So apparently this is when it all starts getting bad, but me and Anna youth work. So this is what we've been looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've been, you've been training for this for years. Get your white pumps out and the whistle around your neck and uh, you're going to be fine. Something like that. Something like that. Um, last question, because I've, I've loved chatting to you and I'm so glad that you've unpacked um, about what you're doing with church, but kind of what is the future of the church you see? Kind of wrapping some of your thoughts up, but, you know, this buffet table has been a great analogy, but what in Europe, what, you know, you've, you know, we have to cover a lot, actually, Gavin, thinking about it. You've talked about how the fact the next 10 years are going to be, you know, you've given us the doom and gloom, you've given us the buffet table wrap it all together in a kind of Jerry Springer end of the end uh, of the podcast way. <laughs> you make yourself there. Um, I, have. I think it depends on how we play the next 18 months. I really do. And I'll tell you why. Go on. I, uh, I wrote forward to a book 
by a guy called Jeremy Thomas, who is the uh, theologian in residence at All Souls Land and Place. So he's got some of John Stott's old job. Now, he's doing 50 years at a time evangelical church history in the UK. The one he asked me to write it forward to was 1900 to 1950. The book was complicated, right? I had Google thesaurus out half the time. Okay. But, but one bit really struck me as incredibly powerful. At the end of the Second World War in this country, church attendance went off the chart. Mm. Like for 18 months, massive growth. Then after 18 months, it went down to pre-Second World War levels and below. The diagnosis in the book was this. The world was looking to the church for hope and for answers after a war. But the church took 18 months getting itself back to normal and comfortable. And by the time the church sorted itself out, the world had lost interest. Now, we now have the greatest moment since then. Mm. I mean, where else in your lifetime, Rich, has there been on the news excess deaths in the UK? Mm -hmm. You know, it's every night, this many excess deaths, this much, living in the light and shadow of death, mortality salience, aware of our brokenness, people are looking. They won't be filling your churches, but they may be in the digital space, over garden fences, perhaps in micro churches. In different spaces where we get close to people on the ground, people are desperately looking for hope. Mm. So I think we have an open goal for 18 months. But my fear is that like in the history we've done, we will spend time trying to get back to Egypt, which you can't do, or mm. back to normal, get ourselves sorted, and then say, where is everyone? Mm. We have the greatest missional opportunity of my lifetime, but it's right now. And so what I would say is, the future of the church will be very different depending on whether we seize that moment or don't seize that moment. Because the experience we've been through, we, as people keep saying, we've all been through the same storm, not the same boat. Those of us that have Jesus now have an opportunity to show what is it like to have lived through this but stood on the rock of ages. So what I'd say to the church, outwards, not inwards. By all means, look after those inside, but outwards, not inwards. And let's make sure we make the most of this moment. Because the world is... You know, the world is asking questions that we've been asking for 30 years and they weren't asking them. Mm. You know, I know you wanted to wrap up, but a couple of examples for me. Oh, one, I keep going. Yeah, one, my barber, right? I live in northwest London, so I pay far too much for my haircut. It's not a good job and it's not hard. So my view has been, <laughs> I've gone to the same one for five years. My view has been, if I have to pay that much, you can even talk about Jesus. So every time I've gone in, I've had a right go. And I've got absolutely nowhere. Then about six months ago, I went into my haircut. He said, this week says, wow, I'm so pleased to see you. I've never wanted to talk about God so much. We talked about Jesus the whole time. I gave him a link to an online alpha. Another example, I was at uh, one of my predecessors, Joel Edwards. It was his celebration of his life about three weeks ago. And I was out there. This big lad comes up to me. He's about 25, really athletic, really muscly. It was like looking nuts. And he comes up to me and says, he says, why have you and your wife stopped your program on TVM? We used to have a program on TVM, stopped about two and a half years ago. Why have you stopped it? My mum loved it. Why have you stopped it? What's going on with you? I was like, we stopped it because we needed to, blah, blah, blah. She said, yeah, but my mum loves it. Why are you going to start it again? So I'm really sorry. Just tell your mum I'm sorry. I said, okay. Then he says, and by the way, I got so bored during lockdown that I watched four of them with my mum on demand. And I gave my life to Jesus at the end. I thought you might want to know. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. Those programs weren't very evangelistic. They probably weren't very good. Yeah. But there's something about right now where you have mm. to do less to have the conversation. You'll see this when you go to shops or communities, you're doing less to talk about Jesus, yeah. and especially in this Christmas season. I mean, closing yeah. the name, we can talk about Christ. And, and what I'd say is people are desperate. Yeah. People are desperate. They're weary. They're tired. 
there's a, a deficit of hope. Hope as a name, his name is Jesus. And we must make the most of this moment because this is a defining moment. We have prayed and prayed and prayed for a moment in the UK. We now have an open goal for there to possibly be one. Come on. Oh, we started with football. We finished with football. Ah. I, love the, I love the analogy, Gavin. No, I'm so, so glad that you've, you've, you've given examples and put it there. And thank you so much, Gavin, for giving your time and, and, and all that you do. Actually, I, I was on listening to the radio the other day and one of you guys was on, on one of the debates on there um, representing you guys and did a, a great job. And I was proud to listen to it. And he was, he was really well thought through and well spoken about. And so thanks for all that you do and, and sharing your heart today. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for having me. And if you're not a member of EA and you're listening, you should be. Check us out. Well, do you get more passionate than Gavin? And uh, I love his openness, his honesty, his unwavering faith. And I really hope that that helped you. I think it wasn't really planned us talking about microchurch, but I was just fascinated for myself just to see, you know, he's actually doing it as someone who could, I guess, could run a sizable church and could have all the infrastructure with it, has decided with his family to deep dive into micro church there. So that was really fascinating. Look, getting great feedback, which is really encouraging. I love, I'm an encourager, but you need to know something about encouragers. Encouragers love encouragement. And so if you could send me anything or give me a rich, this was really helpful on any front. It's so good just for me to know, is it hitting the mark or is it helping people? So just either DM me or send something my way on email or whatever else it might be. But you can get me on Instagram or through my website, richmartin.co.uk. It's so good that you're with us and I'm really enjoying doing this is what is essentially a little bit of a side hustle. <laughs> I love doing a little bit of a side hustle. So... Enjoy, have the great, great rest of your week.